This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Merry Christmas. There we go. That's so much better. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, we're thrilled that you're joining us either in person or online. Christmas Eve is one of my favorite services every year at Christian Chapel, and we're, we're glad you made the effort to come out and join us. Uh, tomorrow is Christmas Day, and so we're doing one service at 1045. Love to see you here if you can make it back out for that. Uh, but uh, tonight we're going to kind of wrap up our Advent message series. We've been talking about Christmas spirit. And so Advent, or the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, it's a, a period of preparation and reflection for the church, for us to think about what Jesus has done. And this year, what we've really focused on is the role of the Holy Spirit in making the Christmas story our story, and ma- moving it from just traditions and feelings into our daily experience. We've talked about how it's the Holy Spirit who comes and convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and reveals Jesus as Savior. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and leads us and directs us and interrupts us and makes God's impossible promises our reality. The Holy Spirit is what moves Christianity from just kind of dry, dusty religion to an active and ongoing relationship with God. And so tonight on Christmas Eve, what we want to think about is maybe some of the ways that sometimes we settle for kind of a knockoff Christmas spirit. The the Christmas season, it introduces us to um, all sorts of feelings and emotions and all sorts of changes in our schedule and activities designed to elicit these feelings and emotions inside of us. And so we have Christmas parties and we give gifts and we eat special meals and we gather together with family. And those all give us kind of glimpse and taste of what Christmas spirit is, but they, they ultimately leave us lacking. I think we, we can probably all think of some knockoff experiences that we've had in our lives. Hopefully, hopefully not in your Christmas gifts this year. Um, but uh, you never know. Some of you might open up a beautiful pair of Folkleys tomorrow or, or something else that you'll find out in about two weeks were not quite what you thought they were. Uh, but, but that's okay. Uh, I know as I was thinking this week, I think most of my uh, knockoff experiences in life and, and really especially knockoff disappointments center around food. Uh, and, and I don't, I, I tried to reflect about what that says about me, but I didn't want to find out, so I stopped. Um, but, but I know in my life, when I was a kid, uh, my parents occasionally would take us out to eat. There were four of us, the budget was tight, and so most of our restaurant meals were the kind of restaurants where you could get a combo meal. Um, but occasionally, occasionally we would go to a, a nice restaurant, and our definition of nice was somewhere with a waiter or a waitress. Like, we had, we had very high standards in the Dow household. Um, and so we would go out. Now, because there were no combo meals at these restaurants, the first question we would always ask my mom or my dad is, hey, can we, can we get pop? Right, Because we grew up in Kansas, so it was pop. If you were in the South, you probably called it Coke, and then you told them what kind of Coke you wanted, and it wasn't Coke, and that's never made sense. But we called it pop, and if you called it soda, uh, welcome from California. It's good to have you here, and we hope you're enjoying our low uh, property taxes and low home values. So, uh, but, but for us, it was pop. What kind of pop can I get? And so sometimes the answer was, uh, the kind you can get is water, uh, you know, and, and that, that we knew kind of where we were. But other times, you, he, my dad would say, yes, you can. And so when he, he said we could as a kid, there was only one choice for me. All I ever wanted was a Dr. Pepper. And so I would, I would look at the waiter or the waitress and what are you having to drink? And I had this sense of excitement. I'd say, I'll take a Dr. Pepper. 
And there were three responses that you would get back from a waitress. Okay, I'm sorry we don't have that. And I could deal with either one of those. The one I could never deal with was when they said, we have Mr. Pibb. I was like, I don't think you understand what I said. I said, I want Dr. Pepper. And then you said something completely different than Dr. It's like I asked to buy an airline ticket and you were like, here's a unicycle. Like these are not the same thing. They don't accomplish the same purpose. And even as a little kid, there was just this like outrage that would, would come up inside of me. And, and I'd want to ask, have you, have you tasted the two? Do you understand the difference? Right? Like if I offer to shake your hand and you slap me in the face, do you think that's the same thing? Because that's what, that's what you're doing here. Like there, there's no equivalency. They're not the same thing. They're, I don't know who started that conspiracy that when somebody asks for one thing, you can just tell them you have a, a lesser version and, and pretend it's the same thing. But it, it, was, it was just a recurring. I don't know if that was a Kansas thing. I don't know if you experienced that where you grew up. But, but I, I uh, kind of went on a lifelong crusade to explain to waitresses that that is not the same thing don't offer me that trash, right? Um, which meant half the time my dad would be like, he'll take water. Uh, you know, and, and so we would move on with our day. Now, when Angie and I got married, we, like a lot of young couples, were trying to save money wherever we could. And uh, if, if you know me, you know one of my weaknesses is Oreos. And so I'd grown up. Uh, now, now, we were not a wealthy family, but we always bought the real Oreos in my house growing up. And But Angie and I, when we got married, we, you know, you're, you're feeling each other out in those, those first few years of marriage and trying to determine what's important to one person is maybe not always important to the other person. And so she knew saving money was important to me. So she did some grocery shopping and she came home with the generic Oreos. And uh, have you ever had generic Oreos, right? They're normally just called like O's or Or's, you know, they're, they're never, they're never, never good. Um, but, but she came home with them and, you know, probably saved us a, a solid like 75 cents, I would imagine over the the regular version, but I appreciated what she was doing. And so I, I tried to have an open mind um, because there just wasn't a lot of money and margin. And, and so I remember kind of dipping into that, that first bag. And, you know, at that time or, or row, I would eat a row at a time of Oreos. Because um, when, when you're in your early 20s, why not? So, uh, so I sat down, my, my big like 20 ounces of milk, my whole row of O's cookies and, uh, and put the first one in and it just like completely dissolved in the milk. Like there was nothing left in my hand. And so I figured out, okay, the second one I'll, I'll do faster. And it tasted like wet cardboard. And so I, I couldn't decide if it was better to let it dissolve and drink the milk or just, but it, it was just endlessly, endlessly disappointing. You've been there, right? Knockoffs just, they're never quite, they look like it. They sound like it. Maybe they smell like it. They might have an initial taste like it. A couple years ago, I went to a, a burrito place here in town with one of my buddies who is a vegetarian because I have a very diverse friend group. And uh, so he, you know, he's very concerned about his health. He's trying to add 10 extra years to the very end of his life. And I just don't really think it's worth it, honestly. But uh, so, so we go and, and I order my chicken burrito bowl drowning in queso and, and salsa and all of these other things. And he orders his, his uh, like meat substitute bowl with fake queso and some other things like that. And uh, somewhere between the counter and the table, our bowls got switched. And uh, I mean, you like, if you can't tell by now, I don't have the most discerning palate in the world. Like my food examples are Dr. Pepper and Oreos. So <laughs> kind of tells you about the class level of my life. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I'm starving. So I'm just pounding through this bowl and I get probably 10 or 12 bites in before I realize there is nothing in this that tastes like anything I usually eat. 
and it's because it's fake queso and it's fake meat and it's just like fake food all, all the way around. Meanwhile, my buddy is just like glowing <laughs> with happiness and excitement. And he tells me, this is the best meat replacement I've ever had in my life. And I told him that's because it's chicken. It's, it's the way God intended, right? And so we, we don't have time for all that. But, but, but you just know that moment in life when you have something that's supposed to be as good as what was advertised, but it's just a cheap knockoff version. And when it comes to Christmas, if you're looking for your peace, your hope, your joy, your love to be found in the circumstances of a season, to be found in gifts and, and meals and parties and all of these other things, what you're going to find is temporary experience experiences of something that's close, but not quite the same thing. And eventually Christmas comes to an end and the decorations go away and the gifts are all opened and out and half of them are broken. And we're still here and it's January in Oklahoma and we're trying to figure out what's next. It's cold, it's cloudy, and maybe for some of us, we've got some of the financial difficulty now from trying to buy some of that Christmas spirit that we were really looking for. What I want you to, to understand this year on Christmas Eve is that the only real hope we have of experiencing Christmas spirit is embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit, he's the one who comes and makes the presence of Jesus personal and powerful and transformational. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and assures you that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you are fully loved by the Father. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and highlights every sin and then lets you know God still has a plan for you in spite of those. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and reveals Jesus as your Savior, assures you of your salvation, and reveals the path that he has to walk, has for you to walk. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and gives you true and lasting experiences of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. It's the Holy Spirit who does all of these in real and lasting ways that don't depend on your circumstances. And so on Christmas Eve, regardless of the, the reason you're here out of tradition or obligation or really worshipful celebration, my hope is that when you leave, you leave with an understanding that real Christmas spirit, the Holy Spirit has come in before you, goes out before you, and changes your experience in every aspect of life. And tonight we want to consider especially how the Holy Spirit comes through the work of Jesus Christ and gives us experiences of peace. In Luke chapter 1, we find the story of a man named Zechariah. Zechariah is faithful to the Lord. He and his wife have been unable to have a child. An angel shows up to his wife, Elizabeth, and tells her that she's going to give birth. The angel makes the same announcement to Zechariah. Zechariah's wife gets pregnant, they are to name the baby John. He grows up to become John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the, the prophet who goes before Jesus, the prophet who prepares the way for Jesus, the prophet who proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. John's life is saturated in the spirit from conception to the end of his life. And in Luke chapter 1, on John, the celebration of John's birth, we find Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit and beginning to speak prophetically about who his son is, what his son will do. And then his focus shifts from John to Jesus, and Zechariah begins to make some prophetic declarations about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do in our lives. So in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, Zechariah, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, and you, my child, speaking of John, 
will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then he begins to shift his focus towards Jesus, and he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So the first thing that Zechariah tells us is that we will experience peace in our life because of the mercy of God. He says it's through the tender mercy of God that Jesus comes into the world to shine his light in darkness and to lead each one of us into a path of peace. So on Christmas Eve, it's a wonderful reminder to us that Jesus doesn't come because we're good enough. He doesn't come because we've earned it. It's a good reminder for some of us who feel like the promise of Christmas, the promise of transformation, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, the promise that Jesus will save his people from from their sins, the promise that the light of Christ cannot be put out by the darkness of our lives. Some of us, it feels too far off because we know who we are. We know what we've done. We know how many promises we've broken to God. We know how many other people we've hurt. And so we are just looking to get through Christmas. But what Zachariah's prophecy is telling us is it's because of the tender mercy of God that Jesus comes to us. It's not because of our righteous acts. It's not because of our religious devotion. It's not because we had one particularly holy grandma or grandpa or Christian aunt or uncle. But Jesus comes at the mercy of God. When God looked at you and I stuck in our sin, lost in our loneliness with no hope and no way out, his response was not to turn away, but to send Jesus to us. And so tonight, what we remember is not just a baby who comes in a manger. We remember a physical expression of God's mercy. If you don't know what God's mercy looks like, you read the Gospels tonight and you will see the mercy of God is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus coming to announce his kingdom. It's Jesus coming to invite the least, the lost, and the last in with him. It's Jesus revealing himself to you and to me as our Savior, as our Lord, as our Messiah, and as our Deliverer. So Zachariah says, because of the mercy of God, you will experience Jesus. And he also tells us it's because of the mercy of God that he will come like the, sh- like the sun shining on those in darkness. When Jesus comes, the peace that he brings comes as light in darkness. His peace comes into the darkest, most depressing parts of our life. What this means for us is that Jesus knows exactly who we are, he knows where we are, and he knows everything that we are or have been involved in. There is no sin, there is no shame, there is no addiction, there is no trauma, there is no past mistake or current experience or future fear that he's not aware of. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And his response to the darkness of our life, to the places where we feel isolated and alone, the places where we feel overlooked and ignored, the places where we feel hated and despised, the places where we feel addicted and in bondage, to all of those and more, the response of Jesus is not to turn away, but to shine his light in that darkness. Jesus didn't come for those who were strong enough, holy enough, or righteous enough to try to do it on their own. He came for those of us who were lost in the darkness. That's all of us. Elsewhere, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus comes, it's an announcement from God that light has shined into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
It means there's no space in your life, there's no space in my heart that the light of Jesus can't shine through. And when the light of Jesus shines into the darkest places of our lives, it is not to condemn us, it is not to shame us, but it is to convict us and to free us. To let us know, I see you in your worst moments, and I love you, and I have a path and a plan for you. And then Zechariah says that when Jesus comes, he will lead his people, he will guide his people into the path of peace. When Jesus shines his light in the dark, it's not just to highlight it, it's ultimately to set us free and to lead us out. I love the, the phrasing that the Holy Spirit inspires Zechariah to use. It's not a place of peace, it's a path of peace. And what that means for you and I is that our hope for peace with God, our hope for peace with each other, our hope for peace in our body, peace in our mind, peace in our relationships is not dependent on us getting to a certain space or place. For some of us at times we think, I, I will experience peace when this problem is resolved. I will experience peace when this relationship is whole. I will experience peace when my financial needs are met. I will experience peace when I no longer suffer physically. I will experience peace when I get out of grief. I will experience peace when the depression lifts. I will experience peace when I find real and meaningful friendships. But what Zachariah prophesies about Jesus is he's not coming just to pull you out, pluck you out, and put you in a new place, but he is coming to lead you into a path of peace from where you are, which means the moment Jesus enters your life, wherever you are becomes the path of peace that he's leading you on. It's not about you cleaning yourself up. It's not about you fixing a few things. It's not about you checking back in in three months to letting him, let him know how well you're doing. It's about you understanding his light shines in your darkness because of the tender mercy of God. And when Jesus shows up, his first response is never clean yourself up and get yourself going. His first response is always to take you by the hand and say, walk with me. When Jesus walks with you, he will walk you out of the darkness. He will walk you out of the bondage. He will walk you out of the addiction. He'll walk you out of the isolation. He will walk you into new life. He will walk you into new hope. He will walk you into an experience of peace that lasts and really does make a difference. But it's not about once I get there, then I'll finally have peace. It's as soon as Jesus gets here, I have peace. So wherever you are tonight, when Jesus shows up with you, peace has come. And it's a peace that will lead you into the path that he has for you. And his path will be defined by his presence, will be defined by the Holy Spirit, will be defined by the fullness of God's kingdom coming into your life. And then the, the last thing we want to consider tonight is that when we walk this path of peace that Jesus has for us, it results in us living as light in darkness. Every year on Christmas Eve, we conclude by lighting candles together. We do that not just as a, a tradition and not just because it, you know, makes for a cool picture that you can post later, uh, but go ahead, post away, tag at Chapel Tulsa. Andrew would love to see them. But, uh, you know, all, all that's fun, all of that's good. But the reason we light candles on Christmas Eve is a reminder that the light of Jesus shines in the darkness. And what I, I hope you understand about following the path of peace that Jesus has for you is when you walk his path of peace, his path of peace is always a path of light. It's always a path of life. And as you walk his path in the world where he's placed you, your life shines like light in darkness. Because now you grieve differently. 
Now you celebrate differently. Now you steward your successes and your resources differently. Now you treat others differently. Now you welcome others in that the world says you should have nothing to do with. And as you walk this path of peace, the light of Jesus is what shines in you, through you, and all around you. And as it shines, it attracts others onto their own path that Jesus has for them. It helps them see that what he's done for you, he can do for them. And as I follow Jesus into the path of peace he has for me, and you follow Jesus into the path of peace that he has for you, his light begins to shine in our homes, it shines in our neighborhoods, it shines in our workplaces, in our schools. It shines everywhere that we go, and both individually and collectively, we now live like a city on a hill, like a light that cannot be extinguished. And so as we remember the arrival of Christ on Christmas, we're remembering not just a fun or nostalgic story, but we're remembering when light came into darkness. We're remembering when our lives were lost, lonely, rejected, and alone, and Jesus showed up. And because of the tender mercy of God, he began to show us a path of peace, of reconciliation with God, of reconciliation with others. We're remembering tonight that, that his light still shines in my darkness, that he still leads me on the path he has for me. And, and whether I think I have decades or years or months left on earth, my job is to keep walking the path that he has for me. As I walk his path, I walk in his light. And as I walk in his light, I share that light with others. And they too experience the mercy of God. They too experience the path of peace and they become part of God's light shining in darkness with us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we come to you tonight thankful for Christmas and the opportunity that it presents us to remember you and your sacrifice. And so Jesus, we ask tonight that you would come and shine light into our darkness once again. Lord, I pray for those who maybe don't have a relationship with you. They, they have not yet taken their place as your sons and your daughters. Tonight, may they hear the message of the scriptures that your tender mercy is moving towards them. Not to condemn them, but to save them. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work of conviction and salvation. We invite you to assure us that we belong to Jesus. And Jesus, I pray that if there are any of us here today, Lord, that, that there's a lack of peace in any area of our life, may we see you as a God who comes, who shines light in our darkness, and leads us into the path of peace that you're laying out before us. Jesus, we believe that your arrival changed everything, both then and now. We submit ourselves to you, we surrender to you, and we ask that the light of Jesus would shine brightly in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.